to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'll be at verses 3 through 7. There's a chance that we'll only get through 3 through 5. So just give you right uh, expectations, I suppose. Uh, first of all, but I do want to say before I get started, thank you for all of the prayers. Those of you who know, uh, yeah, like I had COVID like two weeks ago. In the beginning of this week, it felt like it all came back. And uh, I went to the doctor on whatever day that was, Monday or Tuesday. Said he was treating me for pneumonia. or uh, And then all the kids got strep. So who knows? I probably had some mutants. I was going to say flip. That sounds not very intimidating. Uh, flu strep combo. I don't know, but I'm feeling okay, so we're we're gonna hit it. And uh, but thank you for uh, the prayers and uh, those who reached out. <clears throat> I missed Wednesday, so that was. Uh, anyways, so would you stand? Oh, and also, if I was supposed to follow up with you, that's why I didn't. Uh, I know some of you I was supposed to call, reach out to. So, um, I'm sorry. Okay, Second uh, Timothy. Chapter 1, verses, I'll read verses 3 through 7, and hear the word of God. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. O Lord, who is sufficient for these things, that we together might take up your words, that we together might hear what you have said and are saying through your scripture. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, I cannot preach, and apart from you, we cannot hear. So, Lord, help us. Help us behold you. Give us eyes and ears. And, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. By appointment, would you speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy. In the name of Christ, amen. You may be seated. Let's remind us where we are, right? Second Timothy is the last of Paul's letter. Paul, the apostle, uh, is he's responsible by God's inspiration. He's responsible for uh, 13 of our New Testament letters. 
So he's kind of a, you know, a big deal, humanly speaking. And this is the last of them in terms of date. Uh, this is late 60s, probably uh, 67 or 68 that Paul writes this and he is in prison. He's imprisoned in a dungeon underneath, uh, I think it's called the Mamertine, Mamertine uh, prison in Rome. Uh, he's already had uh, some sort of hearing where many people abandoned him. We see this later in the letter. Uh, and now he's waiting for his final, the final uh, um, verdict or maybe the, the, you know, maybe he's in the penalty. Fa- I don't know, but he's, he's waiting for the final hearing. And he is fully expectant that at his final hearing, it's going to be the end of his earthly life. And it turns out it was the end of his earthly life. Paul, after that final hearing, that final part of his trial, uh, he is beheaded uh, for the cause of Christ um, under the reign of the emperor Nero. And so this is the last bit of Paul's life. And he is impressed by the Holy Spirit that he needs to write this letter directed through a solitary individual to the whole church. You understand what I mean? Paul's writing to Timothy, but the letter is not to stop with Timothy. It is given by inspiration for the church of all ages. And hence, we have it in our possession by the grace and power of God, and so that it may, God may, speak to us through it today. That we believe that God has inspired the Bible Uh, That every word, as it later in this very book, it says, is God breathed and it is profitable for reproof and correction that God has an appointment for you through his word. And so what we have to say is not just something that was said a long time ago. It is something that was written a long time ago and preserved by God's power so that it would land upon your heart today. That this is a living message that is of utmost importance for you. So Paul writes, and it's important to realize the context. He is in a dungeon. This is not a pleasant place. And he finishes the greeting, right? Last week, verses 1 and 2. Hey, it's Paul. I'm writing to you, Timothy. Grace, peace, mercy from God and Christ. And now, verse 3. Timothy, let me tell you how bad it is here. This is how I would start a, if I was living in a drippy, droppy, gross dungeon in chains. But what does Paul do? I thank God. What business does he have to be thanking God? He think he he's. Oh, you know, like humanly speaking, he's about 100% sure he's about to die. He's not dying on some deserted desert island. He's not dying in his sleep as everybody says, hey, how do you want to die? I want to die in my sleep. Unless you're talking to like a 20 year old guy. It's either I want to die and die in my sleep. or I want to die in like a, you know, defending the world in a gun battle or something. Um, at least the 20 year olds, maybe not you. Okay, just, just my experience. Um, but, but Paul is saying there, as he's, a, as he's about to die, uh, I thank God. And this becomes even more remarkable as you think about the who and the when and the where that he's writing. I think something that's often missed 
that the occasion of Paul writing 2 Timothy is that Timothy is maybe faltering a little bit. That that Timothy is, is succumbing to weakness a little bit. That Timothy's living in fear rather than faith a little bit. And you can see those indications here. I, as, as Paul says, I thank God. He talks about his clear conscience. And then in verse 4 he says, As I remember your tears, so that their last separation was not a jubilant one. It was one that was Timothy was weeping at the departure of Paul, which is understandable. It's his father in the faith. But looking on, on later, he says, you know, I remember your sincere faith and I'm sure I'm convinced that it's in you. And then in verse six, he says, I want to remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God that's in you by the laying on of my hands. He's talking about his uh, his ordination in in first Timothy, chapter four, verse 14, Paul talks about that you received Something when the, the council of elders laid their hands upon you, that you were set apart, consecrated for the gospel ministry. That you received equipping through that moment. And now, just a few years later, Paul says, you need to rekindle that. Meaning that the fire, the passion, the purpose of Timothy's calling that he had let slide a little bit. And in fact, the idea of fanning into flame, the the verb is even stronger to mean there's almost no fire or heat left. You need new flame and so he's, and then he says, for God gave us not a spirit, not a fear, but of love and power and self-control. The implication being that Timothy, your flagging and faltering in the gospel ministry is subject to your fleshly fear rather than your gospel call. And so Timothy, Paul, excuse me, so Paul is thanking God while his circumstances let's just say, are less than ideal. And the nature of the one that he regards as his spiritual son are less than ideal. And yet, even in this spot, where it looks like, right, Paul understands, I've run the race, I've finished the course, I've fought the fight, I, I cannot go back out and stir up these churches. I cannot go back out And summon them to faithfulness. I cannot go back out and plant more churches, even though we there are so many lost people in the Roman Empire still. I can't go back out and make it to Spain and and press the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's up to the Timothys and to the Tituses. And here we have all-star apprentice seemingly about to drop the baton. Fan into flame the gift of God, Timothy. And yet, Paul says, I thank God. Paul writes much, much, much earlier to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, right? You guys probably know this. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
you remember that part, but you remember the second part? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you. Ever ever question, ask that question? What's God's will for my life? There's a few places in the New Testament where it says, like, this is God's will. You should start there. One of them is, give thanks in all circumstances. That your circumstances ought not dictate your thankfulness to God. And some of you, this, this bears applying. I thank God. My body is breaking. My years are coming to an end. The majority of my years, just percentages, the majority of my years look to be in my rearview mirror. Unless God does some Methuselah thing with you, which that'll be cool, you know. Who knows? But probably not. And you're at the point in your life where it, you know, everything hurts. Or you, you, know, you can't remember where you put this or that. Is that, is that getting too close? I don't want to get too close. That happens to me now. I, my brain, anyways, let's not get into that. Um, but you're in this situation of life where your circumstances aren't, aren't, aren't dreamy. Or maybe they're not what they once were. Maybe you're in a season of life, you're, you're in those days where it feels like the majority of your, your, er, your earthly life is behind you. And you thought that in this season of your life that there would be somebody with you. That husband or that wife who's no longer there. And for some of you, I know that's that's a hurt that's near and close and real. And yet, Scripture says that He invites us to give thanks in all circumstances. When our body is breaking and there's the people that we we should be enjoying these days with aren't here. Some of you, it feels like you're maybe you're teeter-tottering in that the midlife thing. Anybody else, right? And you're thinking, I should have done a lot more by now. I feel like I should have accomplished. This is me. Every, every, this is the inner narrative that I have to subject myself to. Um, and you're, and you're, you kind of have that moment of like, well, now I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a youth and I'm not... Uh, maybe to some of you in the room, I'm old, but some of you I'm not. Uh, and you kind of, where, where do I go from here? I'd envisioned these things by this point, and I, I haven't done those things. God has given me other things. Precious little things that run around all the time. Sometimes screaming little things. Sometimes joyful little things. But how is it, how is it that we can, we're not only, not only are we invited, it's not just like a casual, hey, if you want to give thanks in all circumstances, you should give thanks in all circumstances. But it's a bit of a command. Give thanks, this is the will of God for you, so that your gratitude It has to be lodged in something other than your circumstances. Some of you are much younger. I mean, you're going through the the teenage years. You've come out of the teenage years. You're you're in middle school or you're, you're in a college age. And you're either in one or two boats. Every everything's awful or everything's great. 
Like everything, nothing is right. I'm not right. I'm broken. Or, or everything's great. Look how wonderful I am. And the reality is somewhere in the middle. And yet the invitation to you is to be able to say, I thank God today. I thank God. How is it that we can live here? How does Paul live here right now? Shackled in chains, his protege Timothy is faltering at the baton. What do we do now? Paul says, I thank God whom I serve. The, the word there is lachereo, which was where we, I dropped that, not just so that you know that I, whatever, it's not for that reason. It's where we get the word liturgy. It's similar to that. It's a worship word. That's what I want to say. It's a worship word. Uh, so the idea that I thank God whom I serve, he's not just saying that I'm, I'm somehow uh, subservient to God, which we are, uh, but he's saying, I serve because I worship. I worship because I serve. That, that as you are living a life that is regarding Christ above all, this is going to poise you or position you to be able to thank God in all circumstances. When your eyes are on God for worship, and you begin to be, behold your God, you begin to see God with the eyes of faith and what God does for you in Jesus, that the gospel becomes a radiating core of gratitude. Because you remember where you were. And even more drastically, not only do you remember where you were, but you remember what the Bible says about where you were. I didn't know before I knew Jesus that I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I didn't know that I was explicitly that I was rebelling against God, that I was under condemnation, that the wrath of God was stored up for me. I didn't know. I couldn't have conceptualized that. But all of my inner angst, all of my seeking the approval of other people, living as a chameleon, trying to look one thing or another, never being at rest. All of that was rooted in that problem. That I was disjointed, disconnected from my God. I remember the old school catechisms. They are something like the Heidelberg Catechism or the, the Baptist version of that is the Orthodox Catechism. Uh, rewritten by a guy named Hercules Collins. Hercules, just remember that. If you ever have another kid, Hercules, it's Baptist history. But the setup of it, the outline of that, a catechism writes just a question and answer, a way of teaching. Um, it's guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, the source of our misery, the source of your misery is your, your relationship with God is broken. The reason why you can have everything this world has to offer and you can, you're not content and you're not able to give thanks is because that vertical relationship is corrupted and broken. The reason why your relationships with other people aren't what they ought to be is that relationship with God is broken. That the source of our misery, and I'm not saying that when you come to Christ, everything is all hunky-dory. But it's evidence that, that you're not where you ought to be with God. When you're not at rest and you're not at peace and you're not able to give thanks even while everything around you is broken. 
But the gospel is our source of gratitude. Because we see, I know what I experienced. And I know what the scripture says about me outside of Jesus. But God being rich in mercy with the great love that he loved us. Right? This is Ephesians 2.4. Made us alive together with Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What? We say that so often it becomes so, we become a little callous to it. While you are yet a sinner, meaning that God is not waiting, has not waited, and does not wait for you to get your stuff right because you can't get your stuff right. But he died for sinners. Romans chapter 4 says that he, he justifies the ungodly. He declares righteous those who are not righteous. And the only way that that exchange happens is that he surrenders his son for us. I thank God that Christ came for me. I thank God that God appointed his son in the fullness of time. To bear the cross for my sin and my shame. I thank God. And let the storms of this world come. Let the, let the world fall out from underneath us. This is Psalm 46, right? But God is our very present help in times of trouble. I thank God because of Jesus. Your thankfulness of, to God shouldn't be, well, I, hey, I got the good parking space today. Everybody's healthy. The sunrise was pretty. And, I, you know, my back doesn't hurt today. Right? Those are good things to give thanks for. But what are you going to do on the other days when your back is hurting? It's gray and dark and dreary outside. You have to park a mile away, get sopping wet, and walk all the way in and walk all the way out with wet groceries. And you're just miserable. Are you going to be able to get into your car and say, I thank God. I was once a son or a daughter of hell, and now I'm a son or a daughter of God by the work of Jesus alone. Gratitude. All to Him we owe. I thank God whom I serve. And when, I, when I'm caught up by the gospel of Jesus, I must live in the worthiness of God, meaning that my life has to be shaped by the reality of God. I thank God whom I serve, I worship, as did my ancestors. And this becomes kind of, Paul's really, really concerned about this. Because he mentions his ancestors, that he serves like his ancestors. So he's, he's talking about his Jewish lineage. The people who, are, who faithfully followed, Jesus, followed God, um, in Egypt, in the out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, in the wilderness, into the land. Think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, on, 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 on. I serve God as did my ancestors. There's a long line of worshiping saints behind Paul. There's a long line of worshiping saints behind Timothy. And the only way that there's a long line in front of them, humanly speaking, is that they were faithful in their day. There's 
It's a long line. I've served God as did my ancestors. That what Paul received about faithfulness of, to God and worshiping the true God is something that he received from people behind him in that long line. And I, he's saying, I thank God and I serve God as did my ancestors. But now, Timothy, and we get this explicitly later in the letter, but I'm handing these things off to you. I serve God with a clear conscience. I, there was no hypocrisy in me as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. That Paul is continually lifting Timothy up. He's continually going to the throne of grace for the sake of his spiritual son. So that he will be in that long line of worshiping saints. So that he will endure. As I remember your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And you can just feel all of all Paul's interaction with Timothy is, is sopping with the gospel. I thank God. I have a clear conscience. I long to see you so that I may be, have full joy. And it sounds like that not only could Paul use Timothy's visit to him in the dungeon, Timothy could use a visit with Paul as well. That one of the ways, one of the good graces that God has given us for us to grow, for us to be reminded of what's real and true and beautiful, for us to remember the gospel, one of the good graces that God has given us is each other. People where we can go and pour our eyes out in tears, or we can go and celebrate together, or we can go and say, hey, Scripture tells me that I should be grateful today, but this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. And it is not fruit of the gospel. It's the fruit of something else. Would you help me? Would you help me to remember the gospel together? And that's okay, y'all. You should have those kind of conversations with each other. Help me remember the gospel. Help me remember the good news of Jesus. What he did for me, what he's doing for me, what he will do for me. But we need that relationship. And so Paul's connected to God. I thank God. He's connected to other people. And we're beginning to see a, a full blossoming follower of God in Paul. That gratitude marks his life, but the gospel oozes out of him. Even as he's calling Timothy up to something more. Paul could have... He could have the bullwhip out right now, so to speak. You know, if you ever go read Galatians, yeesh, like he gets after them. And Paul could be getting after Timothy right now. But rather, and, he, and this isn't to say he doesn't do that to the Galatians, just the tone is different. But he comes in and admon- he's, he's graciously admonishing him in the gospel. I'm grateful for you. I'm serving God, as did my ancestors, and I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That, Timothy, you have genuine, unhypocritical faith. And it was something that you received as well. You received it from your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. And I'm certain, I'm sure, that it dwells in you as well. I'm grateful that you've received the faith in Jesus. And all of you that are in Christ, you have that behind you. 
you have that stuff. That there's a, a spiritual pedigree, if you will, behind you. That someone came to you, whether it was a, a mother, a grandmother, an aunt, uncle, friend, somebody, pastor, Sunday school teacher, and they, they shared the gospel and invited you to Jesus. That behind you, saint, there is a long line of worshiping saints. And it might be a biological line, but it, there, is a, there is at least a spiritual line. And the question is, will that line die off with you? You can see in the Bible that there was this, always this great concern for their name would live on. Go consider the story of uh, Judah's sons and Tamar. We're not going to get into that today, but consider it of what got some of them in trouble is that they would not take up the call to continue the line of their brother, to continue their name. What we see elsewhere, don't do this so that our name is not wiped off from the face of the earth. Are you as concerned to see that the spiritual pedigree that's behind you not wiped off from the face of the earth? That there is a Eunice and a Lois behind you. That there are ancestors behind you. Again, they not, might not be blood relation, but there's somebody behind you. And if you, are refu- if you don't consider, and if you're not burdened to see whoever's next, hear and receive the gospel, then that spiritual pedigree will die with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the stream of the gospel... That all the ways that the, sat, the gospel, the good news of the gospel saturates a place is through people. But if we will not consider who and how and why, we have to share with and all the prepositions, right? Then, then we are the Timothy about to drop the baton. I feel this a lot lately. I've shared this before, right? Last year, and I know, um, last year I had a, uh, one, another one of my ordination council passed away, Lonnie Scholl. And I, so I think there's one or two, two, two or three out of like 12 that are left. That was 2010. That doesn't feel like a super long time ago, right? Which, that's interesting. It was February 24th, so it'll be this week. I didn't think about that. So this will be 12 years of my ordination this week. Uh, and, and when you eat with each passing, it just feels like the, the weight of the baton in my hand gets a little bit heavier. Understand what I'm saying? That as, as more, and, and you could see it in our city. If you pay attention to what's happened in our city, and by city I mean Columbia and all around here, uh, but you're seeing these pastors who are in the, that baby boomer generation aging out, and they're retiring or whatever else, hopefully making it to the end to retire or go home to be with the Lord. 
Uh, and so you see guys who have been at churches for 25 and 30 and 35 years saying, you know, I've run my race. I've finished my course in this sort of ministry. And each time that happens, I think about, all right, for us, how will we take up the baton? And that applies to ministers, but that applies to Christians. And so you can lament your culture to your blue in the face. But this is the place and the people that God has called you to reach. Yeah, they're lost. Yeah, they're far from God. Yeah, there is some abundant wickedness in our culture that seems to be only growing. But dear ones, it just takes a light switch for God to flip on lights. For true awakening to come. Even in individuals. But if people never hear, people will never believe. If people never hear, people will never believe. Do you understand me? And how will they hear if you don't tell them? I thank God, Paul says. I thank God for you, Timothy. I thank God for your sincere faith. I thank God for the spiritual heritage that you have. And now, don't let it die with you. Rekindle spiritual gift. Rekindle your passion for the gospel. Rekindle Because of real faith, rekindle your passion for the kingdom of God. Rekindle your passion to see people come to know Jesus. This is how this church started. I've shared this story before. I'm not going to share it explicitly now. That's how this story started. Not a church plant, a missionary. That ought to be our ethos. We're a missionary people. This church was planted here to reach here. And by God's grace, he has sustained us for a hundred and billion years. No, 115, 116, whatever. I don't know how many. Since 1905, you all do the math. He's kept this church here for this reason. To grow up saints and to reach the lost. So let's not let that baton of those who have gone before us in this church who've sacrificed so that this place will be here, this people will be here. Let's not let the baton drop, but let's be a people marked by gratitude, living in joy, fanning the flame of the gift of God, knowing that he's given us what we need. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us power and love and self-control. He's given you the tools that you need to do what he's called you to do. You have, Christian, listen to me. You have everything you need in Christ, in the spirit of God, to do what God tells you to do. Right now, today, you lack nothing. 
So don't let your circumstances be the marker. Well, I'm too, it's this, this and this happened and I just, I can't get up and do, I can't get up and go to church. I can't get up and go to Bible study. I can't get up and pray. I can't get up and minister to my neighbor. I just, it's just too much today. Paul says, I thank God. And when you have been gripped by that gospel and the gratitude it brings, you must bring it to other people. Right? How dare we? I thank God, but all y'all sail off. No. Gratitude is the attitude of the mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for for the poignancy of the gospel, the invitation for anyone and everyone to call out upon the name of the Lord Jesus today, to leave their sin behind and turn to God in Christ and live. And Lord, there might be some here today, I don't know, who they've, they know the misery I'm talking about in the season that they're in. They know that they have not lived in gratitude and and in fact, they find very little to be thankful for. And maybe in this moment, they're, they're awakening to their need for Christ. Their need that they would be reconciled and reconnected to the God who has made them. Their need for forgiveness and the removal of guilt. The removal of shame in Jesus. Would you give them grace to call out to Christ in faith? Just to say, Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. I believe you to be the Son of God. I believe you to be the one who has died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. Would you change my life? God, there is power and hearts that surrender to you. So God, would you stir up some today who have been looking in all the wrong places and right now they can't say, I thank God, but I pray by the end of the day, they are able. For your saints, some who have run long races and some who are just beginning with you, Would we consider who is behind us? Who have we received from? And would we consider who we must go and tell? For we have everything we need in Christ and in the Spirit. Make us grateful people. And being grateful people, we're ready to worship. We're ready to serve. We're ready to go. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand.